0: The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, good morning. It is uh, really, really great to be in chapel this morning. Full house with so many guests and looking at so many students. Uh, This uh, is a rather later time for me to join you in chapel with the suspension of chapel. I missed my first round, so I'm really glad to be here uh, in February and have a chance to open the word with you. And again, as was already said, welcome to those of you who are guests here for the Experience Karen Day. We're really excited to have you with us and praying for you as well. <clears throat> um, I, uh, I- I'm excited to continue the series from the fall into the spring. Uh, I want to say just a little bit about that uh, in a moment and then jump into this passage of scripture that Dr. Porcella uh, read for us. But I do want to... Uh, remind you as students that uh, we pray for you often and in this month in particular uh, we redouble those efforts and pray for you as we push on through february Uh, i know it seems like uh, spring break is a mirage on the distant horizon but it is real and it will come eventually Uh, so hang in there uh, and uh, push your way through by god's grace uh in this month we are praying for you Uh, we do I love you and care for you, and there are plenty of uh, folks here doing that. So please, if you uh, need to talk or pray, reach out to someone uh, and do so. Also, as Dr. Porcella said, it is nice to have a break in the weather, and I do trust you will get a chance to enjoy that. Um, This is a busy time of year for me. I was traveling this week, traveling again next week, and I'm actually, unfortunately, going to miss next Friday's chapel, which my wife is speaking. So... uh, yeah, right? So so, so you can uh, pray for me with that one. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. Uh, but uh, I'm excited that she'll have a chance to share with you on, on next Friday here in chapel, and uh, I think that you'll find there might be uh, some overlap between I, what I want to say to you this morning and what she will be uh, sharing with you next week. For this morning's installment of this series, uh, some things we may have forgotten, reacquainting ourselves with biblical truths, I want to focus on uh, something that was talked about quite a bit when I was uh, a teenager, uh, when I was being discipled. It seemed like there was a constant conversation about the crucified life, about what it meant to be a yielded follower of Jesus Christ and to live the crucified life on a daily basis. When I read the research about the sensibilities of where we find ourselves in our current day, when I read sort of what people are saying about uh, the evangelical church and about Christians in general and what their priorities, values, and goals are, what inspires them, what motivates them, when I read the research that suggests that um, somewhere between a half to 75% of our people uh, state that happiness is their number one goal in life, Uh, it's probably a good idea for us as Christians to reacquaint ourselves with the Lord Jesus' own words about what it means to be a Christian and one of his followers. And so I want to remind us this morning about this idea that is part of the Christian life, and that is to live the crucified life. And so the passage that was read for us in Mark is the passage that I want to go to and I think uh, offer you some challenge and some encouragement From Jesus' own words here. When I think about this idea of the crucified life and I think about the way in which I struggled with it as a young man, I think I've shared with you uh, in the past that I got my start in teaching by teaching horsemanship and training horses and was being discipled in that context. And uh, one of my earliest assignments was being assigned young horses to train and that can be a very frustrating process because A horse is an animal of roughly 1,000 pounds with the brain the size of your fist. Not a good ratio. But they've got a will the size of the state of Texas. Horses are strong-willed creatures, yet they are also very eager to please. And I was confronted very early on in my Christian walk with what it meant to be someone who was struggling with yieldedness And also having this desire to be pleasing to the Lord and coming face to face with the reality that I didn't know what was best for me, even though I wanted what I wanted to a very strong degree. And I wrestled with this idea of the crucified life. And this passage in Mark has been very helpful to me over the years. See, I believe that each one of us should be asking ourselves some questions. Every Christian would do well to ask himself or herself the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus to Jesus? Not what does it mean to me? The answer is found in his own words. Deny yourself, take up your cross, come after me. That's what Jesus himself says it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yet you and I live in a day when we're told that uh, it's up to us to sort of make our own truths. And sadly, we find ourselves being tempted in this idea that we're truth makers rather than truth seekers. But as the followers of Jesus Christ, we can't afford that risky question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus to me? We need to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus to Jesus? And this is what he says in Mark chapter 8. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The passage that Dr. Porcella read for us from the conclusion of Mark chapter 8 is full of things that could be explored far beyond the time that we have allotted here this morning. I am quite fond of this passage that includes Jesus' confrontation of Peter and what it shows to us about the Lord's relationship with Peter, about Peter's own humanity, and about the priorities of Jesus for this beloved disciple, this beloved student, who had a very special place in Jesus' group and in Jesus' heart. We see that throughout the Gospels. And Mark records for us here, probably recording for us Peter's own telling of it, something that's a very intimate picture of the Lord Jesus interacting with Peter. You know it well. Jesus is talking very plainly about the fact that he has come to do his Father's will, to suffer and to be rejected and to be killed and to rise again. And Peter is troubled by that reality, that very plain-spoken reality that Jesus is sharing, this is why I came, to suffer and to be rejected and to be killed and to rise again. Now, I'm guessing, based upon Peter's reaction to that, he wasn't really focused on the rise again part. He was, suffer, he was focused on the suffering and the rejection and the murder of Jesus, thinking, how could this be? It cannot be. I will not Stand for it. Jesus, no. Don't say such things. And Jesus, in love and grace, because that's what he's full of, always, says to Peter, Peter, you just don't get it, do you? Get behind me, Satan. Nothing will dissuade me or distract me from doing my Father's will. But after Jesus has this interaction with Peter, Mark records something very interesting for us. He says, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Jesus didn't just do this for Peter. He did it for all those who were watching and listening, not to let this one go by. That Jesus was speaking very plainly about his suffering and his rejection and his death and his resurrection, the gospel. And Peter says, no, I I can't bear that hard truth. Please stop talking this way. Stop talking this way. Mark records very honestly, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He says, you're not setting your, things on the mind, your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And in that awareness that there was an audience watching this interaction between Peter and himself, Jesus then turns and calls the crowd to him. Along with his disciples, all those that were there within earshot, come, come. This is the invitation of Jesus. Come and listen. Come and hear what I have to say. He calls the crowd to him with his disciples and says to them this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. In Mark 8, Jesus gives us a picture of what we've come to call the crucified life. It is a robust image. It's paradoxical. It's convicting. To truly live, we must die to ourselves. This truth is countercultural, it's profoundly gospel centered and biblical. And Jesus gives us this image, he gives it to the crowd and to his disciples, a picture of what life is to be like as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's paradoxical in the sense that it is to live you must die. That's counterintuitive. It's paradoxical. It's the same thing that Jesus says, to be free you must become my bondservant. To really enjoy the grace of God you must follow hard after him. All of those paradoxes of the Christian life. And so here this is the same thing Jesus is saying. To live, you must die to yourself. Some things we may have forgotten, reacquainting ourselves with biblical truths. If we're not talking about Christianity this way, we are missing something very profound about the gospel. I shared with the honor students last week, uh, they're working on some Dietrich Bonhoeffer writings, and when I was the same age as a teenager, I found three books rubber-banded together in The Lost and Found, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, Francis Schaeffer's True Spirituality, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship. I visited the office every day for the two and a half weeks that The Lost and Found thing was in place, waiting for it to be free to claim. And as soon as the Lost in Pound Policy was over, I went and grabbed those books, and I read them every year, read them right away, and read them every year for decades after that. The opening line of the forward of the copy of the Cost of Discipleship that I had quoted Bonhoeffer himself, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the picture of what Jesus is saying. If you want to live and follow me, you must die to yourself. It's paradoxical. The only place to find life is in that kind of ultimate submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's where we save our lives. That's where we experience joy. That's where we take on the full mantle of Jesus' invitation to be his students, his disciples. It's paradoxical. It's convicting, because it's not something we're prone to. Going back to those horse training days, the horses are not prone to be yielded. It's why some trainers did horrible things in sort of beating horses into submission to use pain. But the horse wants to trust, it's just that it takes a long time because they're not predisposed to trust. Because a horse is not a predator, it's a prey animal. Look at the position of a horse's eyes. They are threatened easily. Well, you and I experience the same thing. We're afraid, we're, we're unsure, we're worried that if we don't claw out for ourselves some sort of significance and meaning and 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 identity and some sort of position that will be denied the things that we really want and the things that we think we need. And so when we read this passage, it's convicting because it comes with this idea that you are to yield and that is not something that comes easily. Even Adam in the garden, right? When God says, what have you been up to? He's hiding. And then he blames Eve, Why? We're trying to be self-protective. And so when Jesus lays this out, it's not just that it's paradoxical, it's convicting. But it is no less true because of those things. In fact, probably even more so. Because it is counter to our human nature, and it is counter to our cultural norms and sensibilities. Yet it is a picture of what it means to live out the gospel. It means that we live out the gospel this way, and it's biblical. In fact, I would say that to live the crucified life is to live out the gospel. It's to follow not only the teaching, but the example of our Lord Jesus. That example of humble, faith-filled, and persistent submission to his Father's will, even to the point of death on a cross, That should be in our minds and before our eyes always. I think that's what the writer of Hebrews has in mind when he says, set your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. You are not just to follow after his words. He's not just a great teacher. I have unbelieving friends who think Jesus was a masterful teacher. It is his example that he humbled himself to death, even the shameful death of a criminal at the hands of an oppressive government on a cross. That's the picture of Jesus' yieldedness. And every time his disciples or someone else want to, want to persuade him or dissuade him from following the Father's will, he continues, even in that mock trial with, with Pilate, he says, if my kingdom were of this world, I would summon the angels and it would all be. He keeps focused, laser focused, that the purpose for him coming was to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin and when everything around him is calling him to take matters into his own hand from the tempting in the wilderness by satan himself to the to the to that moment on the cross where he says my god my god why have you forsaken me he stays focused in faith and humble submission to the will of the father that is to die for you and i that's the example that we have set before us it's that kind of humble faith filled persistent submission to god's will That we see in jesus and we should be following after that that's what he's saying if you're going to come after me you better be ready for all that comes with it in this way i think what jesus does here for his disciples and his students and and the crowd is to invite them to a richer more joy-filled more meaningful more powerful way of living. He is not calling them to something lesser or something foolish or something unsubstantial or fleeting. He's calling them to just the opposite of that. He calls the crowd to him and says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will in fact save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels? This is something we should be thinking about. We should take it seriously. And I think in the world in which we live, There's a lot of serious and weighty stuff going on. You're bearing all kinds of burdens from all of the pressures that are going on around us, whether it's the pandemic or social and cultural issues, personal contextual issues, all kinds of fears and uncertainty. I've been reading all the data this week at a conference I was at about where we are and what we're thinking and what we're struggling with. We can choose to think on the things that lead us to despair We can be serious and somber about the state of the world and the state of our lives, but listen, as Christians, we need to be serious about the calling of Jesus on our lives, to alter our perspective and to fill our minds with something else. And this is ultimately what Jesus is doing for those that were within earshot of him on that day as Mark records it. The follower of Jesus who takes this truth regarding the crucified life seriously must deny self. Let me tell you, this is about more than choosing to live a simple or more minimalist lifestyle. It has implications for our priorities, our goals, our expectations, our desires, our thoughts, attitudes, judgments, expressions, words, and actions. This truth is wholly transformational. And it is not just a hard one to follow. I'll let you in on something that you probably already know. It's a hard one to want. I am certain because we see it elsewhere in the gospels that there were people in that group who started to back out of that party to move away from Jesus and these claims remember when he feeds the 5000 feeds the multitude and then then he's talking about um you you know, oh, you you like it because I've given you bread and fish, but I tell you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have nothing to do with me, says they thought he was nuts and started to leave him. Hard truth does that this isn't just a hard truth to follow. This is a hard truth to want, that we would actually consider this is what we want from life, to deny ourselves and to take up his cross. But listen, it isn't just sort of living a more minimalist life. Uh, I'll take a job with less money. I'll I'll do without a car. I'll I'll have fewer clothes. I'll hang fewer things on my walls. I'll, I'll live a simpler life. I'll Produce my own egg? Well, no, you don't produce your own eggs. You raise chickens and they give you eggs. Whatever it is that you want a more minimalist kind of life, that's not what this is. This isn't some monastical asceticism, giving up food and creature comforts. It isn't taking a vow of poverty. It's actually a form of self-denial that has implications for things that are far more personal to us than the things around us and the things we set our hands to. As I said, it has implications for our priorities, our goals, and our expectations. This is what confronts Peter. He does not want what Jesus wants. He wants what he wants, which is an elevated profile of Jesus and more people smiling and cheering, a happier time, political deliverance, whatever it might be. Peter didn't want what Jesus wanted, which was to accept the will of God for him, to suffer and be rejected, to die and to rise again. Peter says, well, those aren't my priorities, and that wasn't my expectation when I signed on. And that's not my goal for this whole racket. So Jesus, why don't you just be quiet and change the message? And Jesus says, no, I love you too much to let that happen. Do not set your, thing, your mind on the things of man. Set your, thing, your mind on the things of God. Peter is confronted here, and I think that what Jesus does in the, in the following verses with the crowd is to, is to give a teaching related to the example they just saw, which is that to deny yourself as a follower of Jesus is to set aside all those things that you're clutching at. It's to set aside your own priorities, your own goals and expectations, to, to care more about what God cares about. And then think about the implication for our thoughts and our judgments, our attitudes, the way we express ourselves. Perhaps even our emotions, but certainly our words and our actions. That all of that would come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ as we live out the crucified life. That truth is transformational, but it isn't transformational in the, in the, in the way that you think, well, I'll be a better person for it. It's that it changes everything about you when that happens. Going back to the to the picture of the horse, one of the things that was really truly beautiful to me to see when the, when the horse submits to the will of the rider, and so there's perfect synergy and symbiotic relationship emerges. There's this trust and the the, the sense of fulfillment and meaningfulness, and the and the, the the sense of bringing pleasure to their to their trainer. Everything changes. It isn't just the horse got better at this skill. The horse's whole demeanor changed. I've watched horses that kick and bite and strike and buck. But once they yield their wills, enjoy the fullness and the joy that they did not have. It's what Jesus said to Saul on the road to Damascus. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Why do you persecute me so? You're miserable. You're only hurting yourself. Come to me. Come to me. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. That's the picture that Jesus offers every one of us. He wants us to come to him as his follower, but not on our terms and not with our goals and desires and expectations, but in submission to him. Now just a thought here. How do we know if we're denying ourselves the blessing of living the crucified life? Well, I believe that it's right here in this passage, some hints that we might actually be denying ourselves the blessing of living the crucified life if we presume that our will is better for us than his will, which is what Peter does. If we're clawing at life to keep ourselves at the center of it, clutching for dear life to something other than Christ that we believe will save us in the temporal, My position, my title, my status, my relationship, my money, my clothes, my identity. If we're clutching for dear life to those things, other than Christ, that we believe will save us, we have a problem. And then there's this very penetrating line. Whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed. I was confronted with this many years ago that how do we know if we're denying ourselves the blessing of living a crucified life we find ourselves ashamed of jesus his gospel and his word something is amiss and in a world that is becoming increasingly secularized that's telling us that we should blend in more and more if we're doing that because we are ashamed of these eternal truths of jesus we're not living the crucified life. What's more, the scripture tells us that if we're not living that life and we are ashamed of him, he in turn will be ashamed of us. Jesus gives his disciples and the crowd in this narrative a picture in these words that probably shook them. What's the picture in your mind of a follower of Jesus? It's so tempting in our world and culture to believe that being a follower of Jesus is to take him along with us everywhere we go, or at least where, everywhere we go, that we don't mind having him along. Or to turn over lordship in some areas of our life, but certainly not every area of our life. But the picture Jesus paints here is that we go with him, not him with us, and that no area of our life is to be untouched by his will and his expectations. We lose ourselves in him and his will. In this is the only true happiness there is, for losing our lives this way actually saves them. This is what profits us, and this is what pleases him. The crucified life is to be lived. Jesus is calling his followers to that in these verses. But it can't be lived without grace, which God promises to give to sustain us, and it cannot be lived without faith, which keeps us firm in our conviction that Christ is Savior and Lord and worthy to be followed as such, no matter what the cost. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we ask that your spirit would use them to impress upon us the importance of exercising our faith, of relying upon your grace, Give us what we need to want to deny ourselves, to want to take up our cross, to want to come after Jesus. Give us that desire and inclination, and then give us the will and the ability to do so. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great weekend.